to Matthew chapter 6. The handout that you were given uh, is going to be available at the back table for the rest of this series. Uh, But that handout is largely taken from this little book. It's a small book. Small in every way. I mean, it's, it's you know, not a big, big footprint, and it's even really thin. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Incredibly helpful, uh, especially if you're maybe young in the faith or uh, young in life and you're getting a career going, uh, or if you have a young family and you're navigating finances as a, as a household. This book is... Uh, I mean, more than worth its weight in gold. It has it is, is been so transformative in my own uh, mind and heart, in, in our own household. This, this has uh, really transformed our thinking. So I have a free copy here. Come to me after service uh, if you would like a copy of this book. Also by Randy Elkhorn, Getting into the Nuts and Bolts of Managing Money, you know, uh, uh, the management of money eludes some people. <laughs> and so if, if you need some specific help, if this is really an area where you would like to know more and get a grip on, uh, Randy Alcorn has another book. It's a biblical guide for managing God's money. I like that. It's not your money. It's God's money. And you're just managing it for him. And tons of practical tips and guidance, all biblical um, scripture references all over the place. Uh, Money is a major topic in the Bible. So um, if you would like either one of those, I have a free copy of each of them. You can come to me after service and I'd gladly give it to you. All right, Matthew chapter 6. We're just looking at a few verses this morning. Verses 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Title of this sermon is The Treasures of the Heart. The Treasures of the Heart. And I desire this morning, dear saints, that you would store up heavenly treasures by faithfully giving. That you would store up heavenly treasures by faithfully giving. Giving. Now, this passage that we find ourselves in this morning, if you have a red letter version of your Bible, where the words of Jesus are all in red, you'll find that everything, like pages after and pages before this passage, are all in red. And that's because we find ourselves in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Here, Jesus was being followed by a crowd of people and his disciples and seizing the opportunity to give these people much-needed truth for life and godliness. Jesus went up on this mountain with his disciples close by and began to preach. There's no question about it. Scholars have described this one sermon as the greatest sermon in all of history. And it makes sense. It's from the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But even in its form and its content and its depth, this objectively is a masterpiece of a sermon. And Jesus' sermon here was so full of truth And so broad in scope that you could build your entire life on it. If you turn just a page over, Matthew 7, 24 to 27, this is the conclusion of his sermon. The conclusion of his sermon is, Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the rivers came, and the winds blew and fell against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone hearing these words of mine and, and not doing them may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus' conclusion to his sermon is, you can build your entire existence on what I just said. I mean, I've never preached a sermon where I could conclude that way. Uh, the only way I could do that is if I just read all of the Sermon on the Mount and just pray. That's the only way that I could do I could say something like that. But Jesus said at the end of his sermon, now you can live your entire life now based on what I said on my teaching. You can build your entire life on the foundation, the rock of my teaching. That's incredible. Not you, it's not just you can build your relationships. It's not just you can build your career. On, it's not just you can build your salvation. Or it's not you can just build your, your sanctification. It's everything. Every aspect of your life, internal, external, at church, in the world, at home, everything, everywhere in between can be built on the teachings of Christ. And that's quite a claim. So it reasons then that whatever Jesus preached on here in this sermon is obviously of great importance. It's essential for your life. And what's striking is that in this sermon, we find the greatest teaching on money. See, in the eyes of Jesus, how you think and handle uh, money is immensely important. It's a, it's a huge part of your life and existence. So much so that it, it has a major part in his sermon. Because, by the way, our passage here, verses 19 to 21, is the beginning of a longer section, longer teaching on money. That extends to the end of chapter 6, verse 34. So, what we learn from this is evaluating your thoughts and use of money is like checking your vital signs when you go and see the doctor. You know, when you go to the doctor, they check your vitals, right? They take your weight, your height, and your all the pressures, and they stick things in all the orifices of your body and poke and prod. And, 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 and even when you do a, a physical exam, right, there's, there's certain, you know, measurements and, 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 and things, tests that your doctor does to you. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have to, like, cut you open or, you know, do anything super invasive to figure out whether or not you're healthy. He just, you know, takes a few measurements and pokes around a little bit and, uh, you know, whacks you on the knee and, and he finds out if you're healthy or not. Well, it's interesting that uh, in a similar way, you can just poke and prod a little bit around the area of finances in your life and gain much insight as to the health of your heart before God. You can tell a lot by just a few tests, a few pokes into your financial situation. Again, God sees your finances as a heart issue. I can't emphasize that enough. This is a heart issue. First of all, you must be aware of the fading of treasure. Number one, the fading of treasure Again, verse 19, Do not stir up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You see, the problem 
is not you storing up treasures for yourself. Because he's going to go on in verse 20 to command you to store up treasures for yourself. So the problem is not storing up treasures. The problem is the location of your treasures. Where you store up treasures reveals where your heart is. If your treasures are on this earth, then you are really setting yourself up for heartache and disappointment. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5, exhort us when it says, Do not be, excuse me, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. I mean, isn't that just kind of accepted nowadays? That if you want to if you want to be rich, if you want to have money, you're going to be tired. <laughs> but the wise one says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Because of your understanding, cease. And he asks this, do you make your eyes fly up to see it? But it is not there. Because it certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. He says, don't weary yourself for wealth because it's just going to grow wings and it's going to fly away. Imagine your most prized possession. Maybe it's that new titanium iPhone you just got. Or maybe it's that new device or that new thing that you've been waiting for all year and you finally got it on Black Friday. Maybe it's that car or that house. Maybe it's that nest egg. Maybe it's your bank account. Whatever it is, that material possession, imagine all of a sudden it just sprouts wings and just flies away. You would be chasing that thing, wouldn't you? Imagine your wallet just suddenly levitating in the air and just floating off. You would tire yourself to chase after it, wouldn't you? God says that is the nature of earthly possessions. The loss described here in verse 19 is not a possibility. It is a certainty. Notice. Do not store up treasures, excuse me, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's not where moth and rust might destroy or where, where there's a threat of thievery, this is just where it happens. This is what happens. The loss is a certainty. And, and, and what's, what's striking is that there's a passive and an active uh, sense of loss that's described here. First, there's a passive aspect of the loss of, of worldly possessions, where he says a moth and, the, and rust destroy. Moth and rust, what happens with, with those uh, things is it causes the material that they are on uh, to disappear. When a moth is done and had its way with your favorite shirt in your closet, what, what is there left of it, right? It's not that those fabrics are just stained or discolored. They're gone. There's a hole in your shirt, right? So also with rust. What does rust do to that your, your, your nice shiny grill, your barbecue grill outside? It just eats away. And it's not just rust is such that it's, it's not just, you know, this discoloration. It will actually eat away at the metal till there's a hole in your grill. And your, your tri-tip just falls through the, the grates. It's not simply a little damage. But treasures on earth will one day be completely removed. Dear Christian, you need to have the understanding that your earthly treasures will vanish away. They will. And what's interesting is uh, the word that he used, storing up. 
you store things up for safekeeping, right? But he says on this earth, there's no safekeeping. He says also there's this active sense of loss in this world where thieves break in and steal. What's interesting here is that in biblical times, the walls of the typical house were made of clay bricks that were dried out in the sun. And so here the word break in, for when thieves break in, is literally to dig through. Because, you see, thieves in biblical times didn't have to pick a lock. They just went to the back of your house and dug a hole through your wall. They would just... I mean, just imagine it. You have a, a back room where all your stuff is, and somebody can just dig through the wall and just take everything while you're asleep or while you're away. Earthly possessions can be taken away by violence. They can be taken away by deception. They can be taken away publicly, or they can be taken away in secret. However it happens, it is such in this fallen world that there is a constant threat to your earthly possessions. And people don't even have to pickpocket anymore. They just, they just log in a website, and you don't even know that your money's gone until you go and try and buy something, right? With identity theft and all these other hacks, right? You don't even have to know it. They don't even have to dig through a wall. They don't even have to pick a lock. They don't have to get up out of their desk chair. They can take everything you got like that. Either while we live or when we die, our earthly treasures will all leave us. A sobering parable Jesus gives in Luke 12. Jesus tells a story. He says, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Wouldn't you like that problem? You got, you got so much money, so much stuff that you're running out of space for all your money. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> well, this guy had that. What shall I do, he says. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Same word in our passage for storing up. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That sounds like uh, retirement, doesn't it? That sounds like financial security, doesn't it? It's something that we strive for, something that our culture tells us is the goal. But God gives a sobering reminder in verse 20. God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Uh, there's, there's a story of uh, a very, very wealthy man who had a large estate. Riches that uh, was the envy of many around him. But he died. And as family was gathering and, and uh, handling his finances, his estate, once he had passed, uh, one reporter asked the, uh, the, 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 the lawyer, the, the, the handler of his estate, how much did he leave behind? And the man answered with great wisdom, and he said, all of it. Dear Christian, you're going to leave all of it behind. 
If you store up treasures in this world, none of it will follow you. You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearst, right? You can't take it with you, Christian. Uh, Randy Alcorn, in, in his book, The Treasure Principle, gives a helpful illustration to really drive this home. He says, imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're originally a Northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. And while in the South, though you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency, you've gotten rich, but you're in the South. Now, suppose you know for a fact the North is going to win the war. Suppose you knew that the end is imminent. What would you do, he asked, what would you do with all of your Confederate money? Think about it. You're originally from the north, but you're in the south. You've been there for a while. You've accumulated a vast amount of wealth, but it's all about to be worthless. What would you do? You would go in and you would exchange Confederate money for the U.S. dollar, wouldn't you? God is doing the same thing here in this passage. God has given all of us money in this world. He has given us all earthly treasures. But this world will end. And our time on this earth will end. And all that money, all those treasures will be useless to you when you're gone. So what should you do with worldly treasures? Use only what you need to live off now and put the rest of it somewhere where it will not expire. And that's where he tells us next. The enduring treasure in verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. Here, God gives us the privilege to store up treasures in heaven. And as we do, it is an eternal investment that cannot be taken away. You see, there's a place to store your treasures, Christian, where there is no risk of moth or rust or thieves or stock market or inflation Or hacks? God gives you a place and says, you can sort here and I'll keep it for you. It'll be safe here. Where is that? Heaven. It's in heaven. What you give to God is never wasted or lost. Again, the promise is not that you store up treasures. The problem is where you store up treasures. This word, store up, in the Greek, comes from uh, the, word, the Greek word uh, where we get our word, thesaurus. All you nerds out there who love a good thesaurus, a thesaurus is a huge book that has tons of words in it, to put it simply. If you want to expand your vocabulary, you can use a thesaurus to look up different words to use. For example, if all you know is the word cold, you can look up in the thesaurus, if you can pronounce it, and you can find that you can use, instead of cold, you can words, use words like brisk or cool or frigid or icy Arctic, or here's a new one, algid. I don't even know what that means. It means cold, apparently. A thesaurus is a treasure chest of words. That's why it's called a thesaurus. What are treasure chests used for in this world? We've all seen those pirate movies, right? 
What are treasure chests used for? To have a place for your treasures. A place of safekeeping. A place where you can store up your treasure for a later time. Randy Alcorn, again, in his book, The Treasure Principle, asks an insightful question at this point. He says, doesn't it seem strange that Jesus commands us to do what is in our own best interests? Wouldn't that be selfish? No. God expects and commands us to act out of enlightened self-interest. He wants us to live to His glory. But what is to His glory is also always for our good. And he says, as John Piper puts it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So storing up treasures for ourselves is not this vain, selfish self-interest. He's not encouraging selfishness. He's saying there's a way that you store it that is for the glory of God, but it is for your benefit also. You give to the things of God, and you actually benefit in heaven. You benefit with treasures that will never go into extinction. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19, uh, give a strong exhortation to those who are rich. And by the way, to put things in perspective, if you live in America, if you have a job, uh, if you own uh, a car, if you, uh, if you have a place to live, if you have more than five shirts, then in the context of this world, you're rich. First Timothy 6, 17 and 19, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but... On God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Command them. Command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. What is he saying? He is saying, if your hope is on the uncertainty of riches, you're not really living life the way God wants you to. Your, your, your pursuits are empty and temporary at best. Rather, he says, be rich in good works. And he says, do that so that you will take hold of that which is life indeed. He's not saying if you can give enough to the church, then you'll go to heaven. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you live for the glory of God and doing his will, then you're really, you really got a grip on life. You are really, truly living the abundant life. If your riches are not in this world, but in God. So Christian, loosen your grip on your earthly treasures so that you are free to take hold of true treasures. Loosen your grip on all your earthly treasures so that your heart is free to take hold of true treasures. What are the treasures described here when when Jesus says in Matthew 6, store up for yourself treasures in heaven? What are those treasures? Well, some would say that they are literal gold and possessions that you will have in heaven. Men I, I admire and respect hold to that view, or at least are open to that view. That might be a possibility, but I don't think that that fits 
with Jesus' teaching on possessions, nor do I think it fits with the function of gold and precious jewels. Gold is heaven's pavement, so I don't think uh, that we're storing up actual gold in heaven for your dwelling place in, in, in heaven. It seems, from the rest of Scripture, there are four main treasures that you store up in heaven. One is greater responsibility. Greater responsibility. That is the honor of being a steward of cities in heaven. And that comes from Luke 19, verses 15 to 19. Another treasure from Scripture is joy and delight in heaven. Joy and delight are things that people in this world will pay immense riches for, won't they? People will go in debt to be happy. Have you noticed that? But in Psalm 16, 11, we are told that our joy and delight are in God, and that is a great treasure. There's coming a day when we will have fullness of joy and unending delight. And I would argue that the more you store up treasures in heaven by doing his will here on earth, the greater your capacity will be for those heavenly joys and delights. What does that mean? Well, some might have a Dixie cup of joy and delights in heaven, Some might have a big gulp of joys and delights in heaven. Others might have a whole tub of it, you could say. But no matter what, everybody's joy and delight will be to the brim. So none of us will miss out. But I want more joy and I want more delight in heaven. God tells me to do that. I need to store up treasures there. That's one of, that is one of the treasures that I store up there in heaven. Third, another treasure that we can store up in heaven is heavenly friendships. Heavenly friendships. That is, friendships with those who have benefited from your generosity here on earth. And no, we're not going to sing, thank you for giving to the Lord, for I was alive while we pass around the plate. No, no, no. That's manipulative to me, anyways. I'm not judging the hearts of others, but I don't think that that's, given other passages on giving, that's not the proper way to do it. There's a reason why we have a box on the back wall. It's none of of my business. It's none of your neighbor's business how much you give or that you give. It's between you and God. It's a heart issue, remember? That's That's why we have online giving. That's why we have a box in the back. You just drop it off, right? It's not a show. It's between you. It's an act of worship. Between you and your Savior. But one of the treasures that you can store up there in heaven are friendships. A welcoming committee, it says. In Luke 16, verse 9, Jesus says there's going to be a welcoming committee, as it were. People to welcome you into heaven. Who, whose lives were impacted and benefited by your generosity here on earth. Now, that's a great treasure. I mean, friendship in this world is a great treasure, isn't it? I mean, it man, how can you put a price tag on a good friend? A Christian, you, you, you get to store up those good friends in heaven. And the central treasure... The central treasure, the most supreme treasure of heaven, you guessed it, is Christ himself. Philippians 3, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Christian, Christ is your greatest treasure. He is the pearl of great price that you have found in the field, and he calls you to sell everything to have him. Now, if you're not a believer, I know that that, how that sounds. Again, you don't become a Christian by giving to the church. It's not what he's saying. It's what is your what is your prized possession in life? And dear sinner, if if you if Christ is not your most prized possession, then you don't have him. He's everything or he's nothing for the Christian. And what what the Christian has come to understand and what God is, is calling you to believe is that Christ is the sinless Son of God who died in your place. And He suffered the eternal death, the eternal hell that was yours. It had your name on it, and he took it from you, and he bore it on the cross. If you would but turn from yourself and turn to God, turn from your sin and turn to him in faith, believe in Christ for your salvation, and you will experience the, the unloading of all the guilt of your sin, and you will find free and full forgiveness and you will find that I lost everything. I, my whole life, that old me is dead. It's all gone to me. It's all dead to me. But I have gained everything in Christ. Oh, dear one, if you don't know him, know him today. Come to him today in faith. And he will fill your heart with innumerable riches. And Christian, it's good for us to be reminded of this, doesn't, isn't it? That Christ is everything or he's nothing. He will not play second fiddle. He will not be backup. He will not be second string to your starting lineup of pleasures and delights. He must be first. He must. Even above. Money. So how do you store up treasures in heaven? How do you store up those greater responsibilities in heaven, those greater uh, joys and delights in heaven, the heavenly friendships and that welcoming committee? How do you store up more enjoyment of Christ in heaven? One way. Not the only way. But one way to store up your treasures in heaven is by faithfully giving to the kingdom of Christ, primarily through your local church. Why has God made it this way? Well, think of what your life would be like without your local church. Without a place to gather with the saints. Without a place to hear the word of God preached without a place for your children to be trained in the, in the scriptures, without a place to gather and sing praises to God. Oh, what a terrifying world this would be in if you were all on your own. Oh, but you're not, Christian. You have been baptized into the body of Christ. 
And you're part of a community. A community that, that rests and relies on each other. That counts on one another. To be there through thick and thin. To be sources of encouragement and hope and comfort and even rebuke and correction. And so, dear, dear child of God, you're, you're, as your family gives to the Lord, you should not think of it as, oh, well, we're losing out on earthly treasure. I'm giving up all of this, right, to the church. That should not be your mentality. Don't, don't, don't give to the Lord thinking of what you cannot have or what you're missing out on, or what others have that you don't. Psalm 49, 16 and 17. Psalm 49, 16 and 17. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will not take any of it. His glory will not descend after him. Don't envy the rich, Christian. Don't look at your square footage versus their square footage. Don't look at your car versus their car. They can't take it with them. But God has given you an opportunity where you can send those treasures on ahead of you. Don't think... When you give, don't think I'm losing out on earthly treasure, but rather think I am gaining eternal treasure when I do this. Don't think of what you lose or give up. Think of what you gain. When you give back to the Lord in His grace, He allows you to, to push your treasures forward into eternity. And so you should view your financial giving as the opportunity for secure future investment in heaven. So again, store up heavenly treasures by faithfully giving. Now, he closes in verse 21, the heart's treasure. The heart's treasure. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, it's all about the heart. What do you love? Do you love the things of this world or the things of God? It's that simple. You, as a Christian, must guard your heart from, from the love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6-10, to 10, warn us. Against the dangers of the love of money. The love of money produces discontentment. It fools us into believing that the temporary is actually eternal. It convinces us that we don't have enough. It brings on physical and spiritual destruction. And if that wasn't enough, it leads to all kinds of other sins and ends in apostasy. So what do you love? Do you love God? Then you cannot love money. They are mutually exclusive. Because to love money is to be discontent with God. Show me where you store up your treasures and I'll show you what you love. Show me what you spend your money on and I'll show you what has your heart. Your, your bank and credit card statements is able to list out for you where your love is. On earth or in heaven. Now I'm not saying you can't buy clothes. I'm not saying that you have to sell your car and ride a bike to work, though some of us might need that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have to live poor. But again, it's your heart 
It's a very easy barometer for your heart. Looking at your finances is a very way, a very easy, simple way for you to diagnose the state of your heart. James 5 says, Come now, you rich, cry, howling over your miseries which are coming upon you. This is in the New Testament, by the way. The New Testament, that's all about love and Jesus is my boyfriend. All that garbage of the American church. This is in the New Testament too. Come now, you rich, cry, howling over your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up such treasures in the last days. That's in the New Testament. That's a warning. If you don't know God and you say, if I become a Christian, then you know that means I can't pursue the riches and all the things of this world. James calls you to evaluate the end of all things. And there's a stark warning here. You have stored up such treasure in the last days. What's the treasure? We know from Romans that sinners are storing up judgment and wrath for the last days. You want to keep loving the world and idolizing the world and and making the, the riches and the things of this world your God, then you are not storing up treasures in heaven. You are storing up judgment for the last day. But, again, if you repent of that, if you trust in Christ, that he bore the, your guilt and your punishment for that foolishness, and you place your faith in him as your only salvation from the judgment that you deserve, oh, then you don't give up anything. You gain it all in Christ. Now, if you need help to fix your wayward love in this world, Christian, if you need help to kind of reorient your heart, the remedy is easy. Jesus tells you, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because there your heart will be also. It's a future tense. Wherever you put your treasures, your heart will follow. So it's not only a diagnosis of where are your treasures, that's where your heart is. But it's, it's a remedy as well. If you struggle with materialism, if you struggle with this issue, then Jesus says, just, just give it to the Lord and watch your heart follow. Amen. Just obey. Put your money into heavenly investments. Eternal priorities. Jesus tells you that wherever you put your money, your heart will also soon follow. Store up treasures in heaven by faithfully giving. Likewise, uh, if you give your money to God, your heart, your attention will follow your money. Uh, Think about it. If if you like the Niners, if you like the Warriors, right, and, you know, you, you, for whatever reason, bet a ton of money on the Warriors, you know, to win the in-season tournament. And... uh, you're going to be watching the season. If you put a ton of money into the, into the 49ers to win a game, you're going to watch that game with, with extra uh, concern, let's say. You got $1,000 on this thing, right, or whatever it is. I don't condone that. That's, that's not a good use of money. That's a foolish way of using money. But, but you see this in the world, don't you? where people will bet on, on games, bet on players or teams, and you can just see their emotions just rise and fall with the course of the game. So it is with our heart. We're no different. And Jesus knows that. So, so you could say, bet on eternity. It's not a bet because it's certain. But in a sense, bet on eternity and watch your heart follow. Seek first his kingdom. 
not yours. Matthew 6, 33. Your thoughts about money, your use of money ought to display to those around that you are free from the love of money. No one should be able to look into your life and say, oh yeah, they love money. They love education. They love security. They love vacations. They love shoes. They love cars. They love clothes. They love gadgets the most. Rather, be satisfied and content with what you have. God provides for you faithfully to be satisfied with what he has chosen to give you. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, Ecclesiastes 5.10. So what you do with your money reveals what you value and consider of importance. If you really believe in something and believe it is important, then you're going to support it with your money. Stock investments, college tuition, retirement, vacation, nice clothes, the latest gadget, your business, your work, your political party, or what other, whatever other cause in this world. If you're passionate about something, your money is going to follow. It's going to show. The greatest cause is the cause of Christ. Does it show? Store up heavenly treasures by faithfully giving. Dear saints, money cannot replace Christ. Possessions cannot compare to him. Gold is not as valuable as him. A college education cannot make one wise like him. Stocks cannot secure your future like him. Vacations cannot thrill the soul like him. Cars cannot transport you to heaven like him. Clothes cannot adorn the sinner like him. Gadgets don't stay new every morning like him. And diamonds do not shine with beauty like him. Where is your heart? Where is your love? Set your mind and heart on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God in glory. He is there keeping all your treasures safe for you, Christian. And he will shower you with eternal riches when you meet him there. Stand with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would work on our hearts, Lord. Oh, forgive us for our wayward loves. Forgive us for treasuring other things besides you. Oh, Lord, work on us. Help us to loosen our grip on this world so that we might tighten our grip on you. May you be everything to us, Lord. And and I pray, Lord, it would show in, in the little things like how we handle our money. I pray that it would show in, in the big things like how we live and, and, and move about this world, the decisions that we make. Oh, Lord, may we not first think of financial decisions, but kingdom decisions, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have a, an internal perspective. It's so hard in this world. It's so, so easy to just for this world to be everything to us. Work in us, Lord, and set our eyes on the things above. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.